0: And no matter what's going on in our lives, and the storms may blow, we still have that rock that we can hold to. And uh, if we choose, we can have peace in that storm due to that rock and that anchor. Let's open our Bibles for the for the reading of God's Word to Amos chapter seven. We're going to dive right into the sermon today. Uh, we're not going to do a Bible uh, reading today because the passage that I'm going to be covering is very large. And so rather than just picking a part out of it when I really want to look at all of it, uh, we're just going to take it piece by piece and read it as we go, okay? And so Amos chapter 7, we're actually going to cover the ha- uh, first half of 7 and then chapter 8 and chapter 9, okay? And so we're going to do it, I promise you, okay? And so uh, just uh, we're going to get an overview of this rather than take it uh, in detail, And so we're going to close this series on Amos in the next two weeks, Lord willing. And today I want to go through the last three chapters and see five visions that Amos saw and shared with Israel. Amos, there's no indication as to the time frame that Amos had these visions. Um, And uh, from what we can account, he saw these visions one right after another. And so I don't think we're doing any injustice by uh, taking all five of these visions and looking at them in order in quick uh, succession. Uh, next week, we'll close out the series by seeing the last part of chapter 7. We're going to actually skip over that today uh, because it's a kind of a parenthetical situation. And so we're going to take that uh, next week and uh, look, close out the series uh, on Amos and truth from Amos. As we've gone through this book of Amos, we've seen how God in his mercy has sent again and again prophets, the men of God, to proclaim that judgment is coming. God didn't have to do that. He told them, follow me or you'll be judged from the very beginning. He didn't have to send people and say, hey, you better change. This is coming. This is coming. This is coming. God gave them every chance to repent. And his long-suffering is astounding. And through multiple oracles or speeches given through Amos, God warned them that their sins were going to bring judgment to their lives. And now through these five visions, one right after another, as as far as we can tell, they're being told... It's now. It's now. It's, uh, where This is the last time that Amos speaks. And children of Israel had invited idolatry into their temples that they had built. And they tried to mix the worship of false gods with the one true God of Israel, Jehovah. And many Christians today are trying to mix the world with their churches. And it doesn't work. Uh, they're, uh, they're opposed to each other. We cannot mix the two. It will never work. And it will only invite the judgment of God on our churches and on our lives if we try. You cannot serve two masters. Uh, You have to serve God or you have to serve this world. And today I want to take a closer look at the five visions that God gave to Amos just before he shuts the door and brings judgment. Each one of these visions, now judgment didn't come immediately by the way. Uh, There was some time between the last of Amos' prophecies and the time that judgment actually came. But this is the last time that Amos speaks. And he goes back home as far as we know. Uh, But God gave to Amos uh, these visions and then shut the door and walked away. Each one of these visions shows us something that we need to hear today, I believe. and It's going to be an unusual sermon today in that a lot of times I'll give you a point and then I'll expound on the point. Today, I'm going to give the majority of the, what we're talking about and the vision, and then I'm going to pull out a truth about that vision that will apply to us and uh, that we can see from these visions and uh, apply that to our lives, make a few comments, and move right to the next vision, okay? Let's look at verses 1 through 3, first of all. In the first vision, we see Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, and, behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive. I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, he is for he is small. The Lord repented of this, for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. This first vision Vision number one, the vision of the locusts as it's often been called. These grasshoppers or locusts in Amos' vision uh, came just as the ladder growth was starting to shoot up, just as it was starting to come out of the ground. These locusts would decimate everything, it would completely destroy it. It would eat the tender shoots of the crops and completely destroy the crop for that entire year. This was a vision of the judgment of starvation in the land because they would not hear, they would not repent. And Amos's reaction was to immediately pray to God that he would forgive Israel. <coughs> he says, by whom shall Jacob arise? He says, who would be available to help them get back up from such devastation? And God hears Amos' prayer. And the Bible says he repented for this. He changed his plan. Did you know that God can do that? <laughs> he changed his mind. And from here, we see our first point. Number one, we must intercede in prayer. If God can change his mind, we need to intercede in prayer. If We only knew how much can change when we just go to the Lord in prayer. Philippians 1:19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and to the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was depending upon the church at Philippi. He was struggling and in a trial. And some preachers in the cities, in the city where he was working was preaching against him and undermining his work. And yet Paul determined just to preach Christ. And here he told the church at Philippi that he knew that if they would pray, he would be saved through their prayer from their trial. Oh, the power of prayer. Amen. This is why we need to take that list of our, uh, of our missionaries. Take a uh, handout, take a prayer card, and we need to list them and we need to pray for them. You need to take our prayer sheet that's on the back table back there that lists prayers, uh, people that need prayer and pray for those. I'm on that list. I need your prayer. Amen? Satan wants to destroy me so that he can hurt this church. And I need your prayers. The Holy Spirit would enable these, uh, p- p- enable Paul if the Philippian church would pray, and he knew it. And in Ephesians, after telling the church the necessity of putting on the whole armor of God, he tells them in verse number 18, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." He continues to ask for prayer specifically for him, that he would have boldness to preach the gospel in the next verse. We sometimes don't even see the results of our answered prayer, really. Sometimes we're never told that it was answered. But many times, if we just keep our eyes open, we will see the answered prayers. How many times do we pray about something and sometimes even forget that we prayed it, move on with our life, and all of a sudden God answers it, and you think, wow, what a coincidence. No, it wasn't a coincidence. It was an answer to prayer. Amen? Or else we look at it and we say, I can't believe God did that. Wow, I can't believe it. How many times have I been guilty of that? Amen? Well, duh, I was praying for it. Amen? Now, do I get every answer to prayer that I want? I believe God answers every prayer. But it's not always the answer that I want. No, he doesn't. We didn't get the prayer that we wanted for my mom. But you know what? She's happy. And she's at peace. And she's whole. And she's with family. Wasn't the prayer I, the answer I wanted. But God knows. Amen? God gave us an answer. Now Amos prayed for his country. It looked bad. In fact, God was showing him in a vision of what he would do to them. But Amos' first reaction is to pray to God to forgive his country. We need to do the same. Amen? We need to pray for our country. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 tells us, if my people, it's us, it's dependent upon us. If my people, which are called by my name, Christians, the people of God, the chosen of God, my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, it's interesting The order there. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from my wicked ways. You would almost think, humble yourselves, turn from your wicked ways, pray and seek my face. Wouldn't you? I don't think there's any accidents in the writing of God's word. I believe if we will just humble ourselves enough to seek God, he will change us, amen? He will do the work to help us. We just have to yield to him to allow him to change us. And he will heal our land. If we humble ourselves and pray, we need to seek our face. That means seek his favor. We need to turn from our wicked ways. And then and only then will we see the results of our intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer works. Just keep praying. In fact, the second version we see, a vision of fire Verse 4, he starts and he says, Thus hath the Lord showed unto me. He says the same words. The Lord is showing it to him. He's not hearing it. He's seeing it, okay? We don't know how that worked. We don't know exactly what what it was. But for some reason, God used a vision for him. The Lord called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep. And it eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small." And the Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. God has declared that he will devour the land still. He's not going to completely devour it like the locust. It'll be apart, part, but this time by fire. But that this fire will devour the great deep. I, we don't know exactly what God's plan was there. But possibly it would affect the water supply for this area. The great deep, the word is used throughout the Bible for the oceans. The great deep of the wa- the great waters. We don't know exactly what he was planting there. If it was going to dry up all the water in all the earth? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's more dealing with the local area that he's dealing with right there. So I think the great deep he's talking about, the waters beneath the land. It would dry up the founts of water. In this case where starvation would have resulted in the first vision, a deep thirst, even dying of thirst, would have been the result of this second vision. And Amos once again cries out to God. He says, I beseech thee, I I beg you, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. How could Jacob get up from this? He could never survive. And Amos is once again interceding in prayer. The Bible says that the Lord repented for this. He changed his mind. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. This shows us, second of all, number two, we must persist in intercession. We must persist. We must keep praying. The Bible tells us to keep praying all over the place. Luke 18 says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that man ought always to pray and not to faint. We're always to pray, never give up. That faint means to give up. We don't pray for something and pray for something and say, "Oh well," and walk away. We don't know when God's going to answer that prayer. Keep praying. Must persist in intercession. If we get uh, by the by the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts or clear uh, understanding that, that it's we're not going to get the answer that we want, then it's time to stop. But otherwise, we just keep praying. Amen. Ephesians six eighteen. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication with all perseverance. For, with all supplication with all saints. That's a lot of all's, amen? We got to keep praying. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, just after dealing with unruliness in the church. And people being unruly. And uh, the, uh, dealing with the feeble and dealing with the weak. Those who do evil against us, he then tells us in verses 5 through uh, verse 16 through 18, Rejoice evermore. He says, pray without ceasing. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer. Many times God doesn't answer our prayer the first time, or even the first few times we pray. And sometimes I wonder if maybe God just wants to see how important this is to us. You know, I, I don't have time to, say, to give this illustration, but I feel like I need to. I went to school with a college, Bible college, with a, a young man who was in my preaching class. I think I've given this illustration before, but uh, this man, young man got up to preach in the preaching class. We were being taught how to preach, and he talked about intercession prayer and how we need to keep praying and going to the Lord he talked about how he was running away from the Lord in, in high school, and he was a basketball player and on, uh, on schedule to get a great scholarship from a great college to play basketball and maybe even go into the NBA. And he was on schedule to accomplish those things, but he was, uh, that became his God. Even though he was a Christian, that became his God. He, sorry, he wasn't a Christian at the time. Uh, that, that, that is who he all focused on. His mom brought him to church, but he never wanted to come. He found every excuse to not go. And finally started just falling away and not going to church at all. And his mom would pray for him and tell him that she was praying for him to get right with God. And he he started waking up in the mornings and putting on his sneakers. And and, uh, his sneakers would be wet. And he got mad at his little brother and he said, what are you doing to my sneakers? They're all wet. He said, I didn't do anything to your sneakers. He said, but they're all wet. He goes, "I I don't know. And day after day it kept going like that. He couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And one night God woke him up in the middle of the night. And he went to the restroom and he saw a light on in the living room he went out to the living room and he saw his mom kneeling at the couch with his sneakers his basketball shoes in her hands pouring out her heart to god god get a hold of my boy god please get a hold of my boy help him to accept you as his savior please god get a hold of my boy and she was just weeping and the tears were falling into the shoes and soaking the shoes he said his heart just broke He said, how could I walk away from that? He broke and he went over and he hugged her. He said, okay, mom. Okay, I give up. (laughs) They knelt together at that couch and he accepted Christ as a savior. God started working in his heart. He quit the team. He said, I don't even have any desire to go. He quit the team and he surrendered his life to be a preacher. He went to Bible college and ended up pastoring a church and as far as I know, still pastoring. Keep praying. Some of you have children who are away from God. Keep praying. Don't give up. God changes his minds. What might be judgment coming from him to them? God changes his mind. Keep praying. Sometimes I just wonder if God just wants to see how serious are you about this? How much does this matter to you? Is it just, oh, God, help him and go on with your life? Or does it truly affect you? Amos continued in prayer. and We can continue in prayer for our country. It's looking bad. It's looking bad for Israel too here. Just keep praying. I don't know how much time was between the three visions. But it seems that God, just as God changes his mind about this judgment, it seems he shows them another th- a third vision. This time vision number three is often called the vision of the plumb line you'll see why verse 7 he says thus he showed me and behold the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand and the Lord said unto me Amos what seest thou and I said a plumb line and then said the Lord behold I will set a plumb line in the midst of the people Israel my people Israel I will not again pass to them anymore by them anymore the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. A plumb line was a device that was used to make sure a wall that was being built was being built straight. We still use it from time to time in places of the world. It's a string that had a weight tied to the bottom of it. And the gravity would pull that weight straight down, that string straight. That string would be perfectly perpendicular. And the wall could be measured and could be seen that it was straight as it was being built. In this vision, Amos saw the Lord standing upon a wall that was made by a plumb line. This wall was built straight. It was right. The Lord had a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord told Amos that he was going to set a plumb line in the middle of the people of Israel. It was going to tell them whether or not they were living straight or not. As a result, God says is that he will, as the result of that test... He will not pass by them anymore. Micah seven 18, we're told, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transg- the transgressions of the, rem- uh, of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in, mer- uh, in mercy. And so he says the passing by of transgression, he is long-suffering, he doesn't judge them yet, but yet he says he does not retain his anger forever. God says, I will no longer be long-suffering. I will not retain my anger any longer. He's going to tear down the high places of Isaac, the false worship locations. He's going to lay it waste the sanctuaries, the worship centers of Israel. He's going to rise against the house, literally uh, the palace, the royal dwelling place of Jeroboam, the king with the sword. This was an indictment, a declaration of judgment against two key parts of Israel, the false religious centers and the seat of government, the king himself. What can we learn from this vision? We must, number three, we must measure our life by the plumb line of God's word. We cannot look at our lives and say, well, according to this world and and compared to this world, I'm pretty straight. I'm okay if I compare myself to the, the worst of society. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I've, I've sinned, but I'm not too bad. I'm, I mean, after all, I'm not like Hitler. Well, wow, your bar is set high. You know, we're, our plumb, we're using the wrong plumb line. We're not using a plumb line at all. We're comparing ourselves to the most crooked and saying, well, I think I'm pretty straight. But God's, God says you're not straight at all. You need to compare your life with the plumb line of God's word. This is what's going to tell you what needs to change. But so many of us are content to just accept what we are and hide the rest. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's God's word that's going to direct us. We need to make our decisions according to his word. Our very life strength ought to come from God's word. Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the God. God's word is what keeps us in line. God's word is what we need to use to feed us, to strengthen us, to help us. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. It gives four things here. And I've said this before. Doctrine, it's talking about what is right. It's profitable for us to teach us what is right. For reproof, it shows us what is wrong. For correction, it shows us how to make the wrong right. We correct it. For instruction, wow, that was a loud whistle. Uh, uh, For instruction in righteousness. That's how to keep the right right, amen? So the word of God is profitable for the whole of life. It's to show us what is right, to show us what is wrong, to how to make the wrong right, how to keep the right right, amen? God's word is here to help us. We need to stay faithful to it. How does your life line up with the plumb line of God's word? Is your life's wall crooked? Fix it today. Make the adjustments that need to be made and yield to God and his Holy Spirit. The next section of chapter 7, we see priest of Israel confronting Amos. And we'll look at these verses next week. But in the fourth vision, in chapter number 8, we see the basket of ripe fruit. In this, uh, the Amos, in chapter 8, we're going to go quickly through this. So verse number one, he says, Thus hath the Lord showed unto me. Again, another vision. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. This being summer fruit, the picture is that the fruit is ripe and ready for harvest. Verse two, and he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The judgment time is ripe. The harvest is here. God will not pass by their transgressions any longer. From here, we see the prophecy of what will happen in the next verses. Chapter 3, the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Quite a gruesome image here. The temple songs of joy will be turned and replaced with howlings. The word means wailings, a cry of deep mourning and distress. Everywhere they look, there will be dead bodies. And God, that begins to once again describe just why this is happening to them. Verse 4, hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. They're designing their system so that the poor and the needy will fail and therefore will be taken as slaves and they could sell them. All of Amos has described this whole thing. Verse 5, he says, saying, when will the new moon be gone? that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat. They don't care about the feast or the Sabbaths. They just want it to be over so that they can get on with their lives and make business and make money. They don't care about real worship. God is just simply one of their interests, not the preeminence of their lives. One preacher said regarding these verses, when God becomes simply one of our interests, he will soon become irrelevant. Diminished and boring because we have ceased to honor him and treble at his words. How many times have I heard the words, church is boring. Speaks so much more about your heart and your life than it does what's going on at the church. He continues, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balance by deceit. It's talking about deceitfulness, making false weights and cheating the people when they weigh out their products so that they can get better gain. Verse 6, he says, they, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. They do all of this so they can make money off of selling and buying the poor as slaves, trading them for a pair of shoes, even going as far as including the leftover parts, the chaff and the parts that would be normally thrown away with the grain so that it would add to the weight so that they would get less grain for the money that they were spending. They were deceitful and wicked. Verse 7 says, The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein, and shall rise up wholly as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by, as by the flood of Egypt? And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon your all loins. And they would wear sackcloth instead of their regular clothing, a very uncomfortable garment, sort of like burlap, we would think of that type of thing. And in their mourning, they would, they would wear that rather than their cl- uh, soft clothing as a sign of mourning. And baldness upon every head, they would shave their head. And I will, will make it as the morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Hear this part now, verse 11. Behold, the day cometh, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a famine of water, the two things that he had threatened to do in the first two visions. Not of, not of starvation, not of thirst, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They will never hear from me again. God will cause them to not even be able to hear the words of the Lord any longer. He's saying it's too late for repentance. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. The thirst of the word of God they're talking about. They shall swear by the sin of Samaria and say, the God of, uh, Thy God, Odan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth. Even they shall fall and never rise up again. The culmination of God's judgment is here and it's complete. They will never be able to hear the truth any longer and understand it. It's too late for repentance. They'll be so blinded that they'll persist in their idolatry. They swear by the sins of Samaria. They say to uh, thy God, O uh, Dan, liveth. The manner of Beersheba lives. These are all pointing to their false houses of worship that they've been uh, worshiping at. And it ends saying, even they shall fall and never rise up again. Utter destruction. We can simply learn from this, number four. We must seek God before it's too late. We must seek God before it's too late. Isaiah 55, 6 tells us, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The answer is repent now. Don't delay. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Matthew 7 7 says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. The doors are open. The seeking is available at this moment. But the day is coming when judgment comes upon the earth on the, on the earth that it will be too late. You need to repent now. We don't know when that day will come. The arrogance and the pride of these people. And Israel showed their refusal to turn to God of their fathers, and now it's too late. Don't wait. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know when judgment or chastisement will come. Don't wait for destruction to happen before you seek God. Don't wait for God to try to get a hold of your attention through sickness or disease or loss. Don't wait for God to bring financial ruin before you give Him your all in His control. By the way, when people mourn, A loss of someone. I've had not just a few come to me and say, is it because of sin that I've done? No. You'll know. You'll know 100%, without a doubt, if loss of some sort is because of your sin. God will convict you of particular sin that you have refused to repent from when that happens. If there's a question, the answer's no. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? That's not what we're talking about here. But when you refuse to give in and hold on to your sin and hold on to this, God brings destruction in various ways. Financial ruin, whatever the case may be, he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get a hold of you. Don't hold back from God. Make him your priority today today. Hear the voice of God through the man of God that he has sent to you and turn back to God. You say, Pastor, I'm here. I'm sitting in the church. Why are you saying this to me? I'm already here. Listen to me right now. So were they. They were in the house of God giving. You know, it wasn't a real house of God, but they were still offering all uh, uh, sacrifices to God, Jehovah. They were also doing it alongside other gods, which was wrong. But they were were still honoring the feasts. They were still honoring the Sabbath. They were doing the things that they thought they needed to do. They were in church in our lingo. Turn to God before it's too late. And then we see Amos' last vision. After they have refused him once again, now... Amos sees vision number five, and we often call this God standing by the altar. Chapter nine, he says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. Judgment is now, is here. He's standing there. It's time. It's not only no more time to repent, and they won't hear it any longer, he's there. Judgment is here. He's standing at the altar. He says, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door and that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. The temple is commanded to be smashed and the posts cut off. He says, I will slay the last of them with a sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. And he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. When the people run from the judgment, the enemy will slay them with the sword as they run. They will not be delivered. It was already pictured in the verses prior where it's talked about the bodies and and, and everywhere they look. Though they dig into hell, verse 2 says, and thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will, they, will I bring them down. They cannot go deep enough to hide. Hell, there's shield. It's the, 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 the dwelling place of the dead. If they were to make their way all the way to the dwelling place of the dead, I'll still get them. If they go into the heavens, it's literally speaking of space. This is before NASA. If they were able to make it to space... I'll still get them. They will not run from this judgment. It's talking about the inclusion of the whole, no matter where they are. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, the highest point in all of the nation, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. They will not escape. Though they go into captivity, verse 4, before their enemies, thence will I... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I nearly made it through the whole sermon. Thence will I command the sword, and it will slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Many of those who are taken captive will still by the, die by the sword. Not all of them will make it all the way to Assyria. Verse 5, and the, <clears throat> the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn and that shall rise up wholly like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. It's total destruction. Accomplished by none other than the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is Jehovah, Yahweh. This is the covenant God. He has made a covenant with Israel. Follow me, obey me, and you'll have blessings. Disobey me, and you'll have chastisement, as any father would chastise to the son that he loves. Verse 7, says, Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, or children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaptur, and the Syrians from Kerr? He says, I send all the kingdoms and nations where I want them to be. I'm in control. I delivered you from, uh, from uh, Israel. In some way, he saved the Ethiopians. And he brought the Philistines from Cantor to where they are. And whether it's godly nations or evil nations, he controls what's going on. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saying that I will not utterly destroy the house, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. He prophesies a shred of hope here in the end. There's a all this gloom and destruction, there's a shred of hope here at the end. Not all of the house of Jacob will be destroyed. I will hold out a remnant. Here we see our fifth principle from this passage. We must be faithful. Even in the midst of judgment, we must be faithful. Even in the midst of judgment, there's going to be a remnant that's saved, that doesn't die, that does return to the Lord. We must be faithful, even in the midst of the judgment. I believe with all of my heart that judgment is coming to America. I believe it. What are you going to do when that's happening? I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know we cannot go and reject God and embrace sin and not have the judgment of God come upon our land. What is your reaction going to be when destruction comes to America? Are you going to stay faithful? Are you still going to go to church, even if it's not comfortable to go? Are you still going to read his word and stay faithful to him, or are you going to give up? Verse 9, he says, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. J- yet not, shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. There are a few who will turn back to God. There are a few who never even left him and stayed faithful to him. The prophets that, that proclaimed the truth even in the midst of everyone else going to idolatry. He said he will sieve them from those who will perish. Verse 11 says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as the days of old. There's coming a day when all this will be rebuilt, that's destroyed. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Verse 13, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes shall, uh, him that soweth the seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. A picture of complete restoration of the kingdom of David. A look into the future, reign of Christ, I believe. God is using hyperbole here. Uh, it's a description that is exaggerated to prove a point. He's describing the prosperity of the farms. They will just finish the plowing and they'll already be reaping. Talk about prosperity, amen. How many times could you sow in one year? <laughs> It'd be exhausting. But still. It's an exaggeration to describe the prosperity of the land. Verse 14, he says, And I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. He had already prophesied. You plant vineyards right now in your prosperity, but you're not going to drink the wine from that. It's going to be gone. You plant the vineyards, you plant the, the, the things, but you will not harvest it. God's judgment will come before you ever get a chance. Now he's saying... You're going to plant vineyards, and you're going to drink the, vine- the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord God. Even in the midst of all this destruction, God ends his message to Israel with a message of hope. There's coming a day. A remnant will inherit the land again. The kingdom of David's seed will once again rule. And there will be prosperity and safety that has not been fulfilled yet. They have the land, but there's war and struggle, no peace. But one day, they'll dwell there and never be pulled out. They will inherit that land and they will be ruled by a seed of David, the King Jesus. They'll be planted in that land and never be pulled out. This is a message of great hope here at the end. But this message is only for the remnant. A small number compared to those who suffered judgment. There's hope for the future, but not everyone will be able to partake in this hope. Matthew seven, thirteen and fourteen says, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there go, many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Will you hear the truths of these visions? Will you pray for our country and for those who are headed to destruction? Perchance, maybe God will change his mind, and we'll see repentance in our land again. I do not believe it's too late for revival to hit America. I will never believe that until God takes us home. Until the spirit of God is removed from the land. Keep praying. Continue in prayer, even if it seems hopeless. Just keep praying. Will you measure your life not according to the established and accepted church, just like their false leaders, and their established church, but according to the eternal plumb line of God's word. If this church ever has somebody standing in this, church, in this pulpit and preaching something contrary to this word, leave and find you a, a, a Bible-preaching church. Amen? Preach, go somewhere where you'll hear the word of God preached. Not philosophy, but God's word. Will you seek God before it's too late? Will you remain faithful even when you see the rest of the country suffering under God's judgment? It's coming. Will you stay faithful or will you abandon God and his church when things get difficult? Stay true to God. Amen. He'll lead us through whatever may come. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Father, I I thank you for Amos. Even though it's a difficult passages to preach, Lord, it's a difficult thing to hear. I pray that you'd help us to learn these truths, Lord, as we see these five visions and learn these truths from here. May you apply it to our hearts and lives and help us change where we need to change. I pray that you would bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. We're not going to have a time of invitation today. We're going to go ahead and go into the communion time. If we could have the gentleman that can help, if you would come forward. If you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day. Don't delay you need to talk to me after the service, stop and talk to me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, uh, and he took, uh, excuse me, I got distracted by something here. Uh, lost my place here. He goes, when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Whosoever therefore, uh, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The Bible is very clear about uh, the communion being a special time, a time that we don't take lightly. And uh, we need to make sure that we have a heart that's clean before the Lord. I often, most of the time, will take just a moment to uh, ask that we uh, seek the Lord during this time and see if we can... um, Ask him if there be any way in us that is unclean. And I'd like to take just a moment and, and just ponder on our hearts and ask the Lord to show us anything that is between us. Not that We would not come to the Lord's table unworthily, and but come to him in uh, the way that he wants to be seen. I pray. Let's take a moment and just pray and ask the Lord to show us.